Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. These two guys have Minnesota sports flowing in their veins. Mackie and Judd on Score North and scorenorth.com. Reckless speculation. Great talk. Juicy rumor. <laughs> Yes, this is a Reckless Speculation Thursday. Happy Reckless Speculation Thursday to all who celebrate the lifestyle. Mackie and Judd, daily Minnesota sports entertainment, therapy, speculation. And uh, we're going to get our friend Darren Doogie Wolfson on the show later on. Usually we, we lead with him. He's kind of big-timing us. Shocking. He's got an interview with uh, with Rick Spielman that uh, apparently, you know, yeah. got to talk to Rick. I'm sure Rick's going to get, gonna get a Rick's draft cut takes. open a vein on his draft. <laughs> you know, that Ponder pick, let me talk about that. I was forced to do that. <laughs> Gun to the head. So, um, all right. The Twins are, what, 4-8. and eight. They're off to a terrible start. It's the second time they've gotten off to a terrible start in the last couple of years here. And so, yeah, I feel like to this point, everyone's just kind of either apathetic or like, yeah, it's fun that they signed Carlos Correa. They're off to a slow start, but whatever. The Wolves and the Wild are playing well, and the Vikings have a draft coming up. So, you know, uh, I think most people are just kind of like, until the Twins prove it and show me something, then maybe I'll start buying tickets or then maybe I'll, you know, start watching games on TV. Um, but we were on a text thread last night, and I'm just going to. I'm just going to give the floor to Judd here. It is a Reckless Speculation Thursday, and you have a couple times on the show and many more times off microphone brought the idea up about a certain specific assistant coach on the twin staff that is interesting. He's very interesting. So um, I don't know. I'll just throw it to you. Are you going to fire Rocco now? or No, no. Tell the audience your theory here. Okay. So my theory is this. The Twins in 2021 were a massive disappointment. And yes, you know, I know, folks, it's on the players, too. I'll tell the players to play better. Okay, yeah, you're right. It's on the players. It's on Falvey. It's on Levine. But just to back up a little bit and sort of, like, paint a picture, there's usually one person who pays the price first. And it's not the GM, ordinarily. It's not the assistant GM. It's... Not the players. It's the manager. Now, when the Twins hired Jace Tingler, who I know was fired by the Padres, I know they had problems. I know that Jace Tingler, I don't even think he's highly regarded. But when the Twins hired him to be Rocco's bench coach, it struck me as interesting. Hmm, this is intriguing. The bench coach is a guy who months ago was in a dugout as a big league manager. 
like to dismiss that. Oh, come on, Zolgad. Typical, you're making stuff up. Hold on a second here. This guy was a manager, and he just got hired by the team, and my guess is it wasn't Rocco that made the first call. Hey, dude, you got to come here because I need a potential replacement because I'm really struggling. The other thing that, that I heard that I've heard and that I think we are seeing play out and gives justification to, to the fact that Rocco at times does struggle in game with decisions is that his best ally was his first year, Derek Shelton, who got the Pirates job. But mm-hmm. Derek Shelton was Rocco's initial bench coach. And what I've been told is that Derek Shelton in games just had a sense for what needed to be done and could basically tell Rocco, we need to do this now. Rocco, and this is not surprising, guys. This is not surprising. Rocco very much is a let's talk about it guy. Rocco is a and, – and, and this goes back to what I talked about in 19, and in some ways it's good. The zen of Rocco. Let's, let's sit here and light a candle, spiral light perhaps, and meditate – Hmm, what should I do? Should I go to the bullpen? Derek Shelton would be like, yes, do that now. Um, tragically, uh, D- David Bell, who replaced Shelty when he went to the Pirates, passed. And so last year, the Twins didn't really have a bench coach. I, I think that old guy was his name. Bill Evers helped rock a while, but he will, you know. Anyway, long story short, didn't go well, did it? So I found it very intriguing, and I've continued to that Jay Stingler, recent manager of the Padres, is sitting in the dugout alongside Rocco, seen as sort of a source of clarity on decisions. And with the way that the Twins are currently playing, if you dismiss, they're not going to make a change. It's only X amount of games in. There's two things to keep in mind. Number one is, no, it's not. 2021 is still going to be held against everybody, and especially Rocco. And the second thing is, Jace Tingler was a manager, not not an up-and-coming coach. He has managerial experience, decisions, and he was hired to sit by Rocco. I think to dismiss this is to, again, and we do this way too much, it's true of fan base and media. We sometimes want to bury our heads in the sand and not realize that something might be at work here. So do you think reckless speculation? <laughs> Just blow my eardrums yeah, off. Um, do you think I, I have some takes and some thoughts on this too? But do you think that the Twins deliberately hired Jace Tingler because he has managerial experience? Yes. In case things went south, I think they hired him because he has experience, and I think that they realized that in game Rocco often and look, this is if you watch Twins games, this is not a shocker. In-game, Rocco, I think, struggles with making decisions as quickly. Because in all sports, right, with Zim, same thing. You need to make a decision immediately. And, and by the way, it ordinarily needs to be right. Um, so, yes, I think it's no mistake that after a year of basically watching Rocco fly solo in decision-making, that the hire is not an up-and-coming guy, but an actual yeah. guy who's made these decisions in-game. This is hard because I don't. I definitely don't want to be the show that twelve games into a baseball season that has one hundred sixty-two games on the schedule that we're going to sit here and put a put a manager on the hot seat and you know all right. Well, this is a slow start after the first two weeks, so start firing people. Like I, I don't. I don't want to do that whole thing. But if you flip it around and say, all right, like what what is Rocco great at? 
Let's look at the body of work here. This is year four of him as the manager taking over Paul Molitor. You know, what is he great at? And and how have these three and you know, three full years and in, in a partial season added up? And I think, you know, I say this all the time on the show, like your your primary job as a baseball manager, it's not like other sports. Like in basketball, you're drawing up plays out of the huddle and last night, you know, if you guys watched the uh, the Boston or it was the um um uh, spacing on the game now. I think it was Doc Rivers in the huddle last night. Drawn up a play for Joel. Yeah, it was the Joel Embiid game winner. And like Doc Rivers is literally in the huddle and ESPN's got the camera, TNT or whatever the hell network it was on. And they're diagramming him like, okay, so you're going to th- inbound it here. We're going to do a back pick over here. And then you're going to pin down and Joel, you're going to roll and curl to the corner wide open three and like, and boom, it, it, you drop a play and your players run it. Like that doesn't exist in baseball. Like, yes, there are some plays that are diagrammed and things and shifts and whatnot. But, like, your primary job as a manager is to create an environment that allows the players and the team to maximize their potential. And you do that through dissemination of scouting reports, making sure everyone has enough information and that they understand the information, that everyone's on the same page. You do it by managing injuries and ailments and lineup cards, team chemistry, bullpen management, right? Motivation throughout what winds up being an eight-month season. like, And a lot of these things are hard to quantify. And I think if you look at Rocco's four years, this is now the second borderline disastrous start in a row. I mean, it's it's only 12 games, but a four and eight start to start the season in a weak division, like guys, like they can't score runs. And again, some of this is small sample size and they may snap out of it, but we've now had two back-to-back disastrous starts Zero playoff wins in two trips to the playoffs, despite having the greatest home run hitting team in baseball history in 2019, and they just didn't hit. You have underachieving young players like Max Kepler and Miguel Sano. I, you know, Trevor Larnick off to another slow start after a pretty bad season. It's a former first round pick. He's 25 years old, and he looks pretty clueless at the plate. You know, chemistry issues in the clubhouse last year with some of the vaccination stuff. So all I'm saying is. On one hand, it's probably too early to just fire a manager after the first two weeks of the season. But if you start to look at the body of work and what your job is as a manager, is he really elevating this team? Is he really a leader of men that's maximizing the Twins players and 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 team and getting the most out of them? And I would say probably not. I mean, we could talk about Jace Tingler, and I got some stuff on him too, but like, Body of work for Rocco has not been all that impressive. And I know they won some regular season games the first two years and they won a hundred games and set the home run record. But like a lot of other things just seem off to me with him. And I do, I, you know, I, if they, if they said tomorrow, listen, we're going to make a change. It's just not clicking. I don't know that I would have anything to fight that decision with. Like if you, you have to, you have to argue for Rocco. What would you argue? <laughs> you know, that's my, like for Ron Gardenhire, you would say, man, you know, he might be a little antiquated in his thinking, but like that dude can light a fire under a baseball team for at least the first seven or eight years. Paul Molitor, just a brilliant, genius baseball mind with all this credibility. Like, I don't know what the fight is for Rocco at this point if they keep losing games. I think, too, the, the biggest knock against him, and look, this is hard in baseball, and it's hard in life, too, is human element. He has, in my opinion, very small and doesn't know what to do in a human element side of the game. He, he got hired with his analytical background, right? Like he, he's an analytical nerd. He looks at the spreadsheet. We've kind of even ripped him a lot for that sometimes. But his human element, 
the gut check decision times, which again are hard. It's hard to quantify and it's hard to project that on any manager, I think, in 2022 with the way baseball is heading. But he lacks that human element that when you need to make a decision, dude, what is it? It's not throwing Dobnak out in game two. It's not putting Cody Stashek into a situation where he's gonna where he's gonna be terrible. Like Barrios is chugging along through the, through the first game against the Astros. Oh, third time through the order. Well, yeah, we all know the third time through the order the hitters get better, but we have to pull him. The human side of that, I think, is what's going to be his biggest downfall. And I, I think the question about that is an extremely intriguing because we don't know we don't know how how much he's executing the plan that that Falvey wants at times and the plan that he that he has full control on. But that's an interesting one too, Dex, because that goes to my understanding of why Paul was fired in the first place was that they, because he is, as Phil said, he's a brilliant baseball guy. Like, I mean, that guy is a baseball savant. He can, hey, Paul, what what happened in in the second in that July 1978 game? Oh, yeah, a guy tri- tripled and then the next guy doubled and it's just incredible. But part of the reason why they fired Paul was because they felt like players right or wrong, were a little bit intimidated because he, he was a, a Hall of Fame player. He didn't, I think he's a good guy, but I don't think they felt he necessarily identified with today's players as far as they're younger, they've got different thoughts. They're probably not baseball baseball guys like they were in Paul's days. Um, it felt like when Rocco got here that one of his greatest strengths was identifying with players. Days off, of course, you know, breather, of course. And does, does he even do that really well, well though? Like, is here's the thing. I think the first year or year plus it worked, but the problem is this: there's probably somewhere in between where the twins perceived Molitor to be and where Rocco is, because I think once players know that they can push buttons and get what they want, you lose respect. So, like, like in 19, it might be like, you know what, Kep, take the day off. That's great. But then Kep's like, oh, and I'm just, this is an example, but I'm just saying, like, if a guy like Kepler's like, oh, I can do what I want basically here. Now you're losing some of that um, of that street cred probably. So, like, I think there's a lot of things at work here in trying to find the right person to manage and to Declan's point, make decisions in game. And it's a very, if this makes sense, convoluted stew in getting it right. Yeah, and I think even like if you want to just zoom all the way out to 30,000 feet here and say, just go back to what is the manager supposed to do? And I think the, the the only thing that we can really quantify is like the bullpen decisions. If you bring a guy in and he gets shelled, like Declan referred to the Cody Stashak playoff game. Well, that was an easy first guess to me. Jose Brios was cruising through five innings against the Astros. Yes. Um, I pulled up the box score here. He had allowed two hits through five innings, one run, it was great. 75 pitches. But because the spreadsheet tells you beep, burp, beep, burp, beep, burp, that you can't let him face the Astros for a third time through, we must now go to the bullpen, mm-hmm. and Cody Stashak comes in and gives up a decisive home run. Well, Human Element says, Jose Brios feels pretty damn comfortable. His stuff is electric, and the Astros are having a hard time squaring it up. I'd rather take my chances a third time through the order with electric Jose Barrios than Cody Stashak's pulse racing out of his neck, pitching in the playoffs for basically the first or second time or whatever, right? Like, and, and I mean, that was a first guess. So, so like Declan nailed it on that front. But from 30,000 feet, when you look at, and the Twins don't have a perfect roster, they're not the Dodgers, but when you look at the last couple seasons, is when you add up the sum of the parts, 
does it equal something that you would say, oh, yeah, that, that makes sense. Like, they should definitely be, you know, a combined whatever it is the last two seasons, like 20 games below 500 if you include the 4-8 and eight start. Yeah, they're just not a very good roster. I look at this roster and say it's not perfect. But should they be like 20 games no. below 500 since the start of last season? And they literally can't okay. hit right now. Yeah. Is that 100% the manager's fault? No. No. Like these dudes have to be professionals and go play baseball. But would somebody else, the question they have to ask, would somebody else, Jace Tingler or whoever else, be able to get more out of this collection? And I'll tell you, on your Jace Tingler theory, he had the Padres playing great baseball for a year and a half. They were uh, in the pandemic year. They went 37 and 23 in a tough division. They beat the Cardinals in the first round of the playoffs. So Jace Tingler actually has two more playoff wins than any other Twins manager does over the past 18 seasons. And then last year, they started 67 and 49. So again, he was maximizing a roster for the first year and a half. And then things absolutely collapsed down the stretch. Middle of August is when they just stopped winning games. They won like 12 games the rest of the year, starting on August 11th or something. Um, and I was doing some reading on what happened. And, and basically, the clubhouse just became kind of toxic. Machado and Tatis were bashing heads. Uh, guys were upset that the franchise was shopping Eric Hosmer because he's a clubhouse favorite. And uh, Padres ownership came out after the firing and said the clubhouse wasn't as professional as we would expect. And so like things derailed. But I mean, if, if you don't think Rocco is maximizing the potential of this team, not that it's all his fault. Why would you not look at making a change at some point with all that you have riding Carlos Correa, maybe only for one year? Like That's you don't have thing. time to mess around for two months here. Right. And and you need to win like j- just from a perception standpoint, like this is a competitive market. Like you can't continue to just be like, well, we tried the thing. So the. Intriguing thing about this as well is, Phil, what you brought up, because I think this can be directly tied to Rocco for sure, and that is the lack of development of players. There are variables here that I will say this. I don't know who to blame, like Buxton. When Buxton doesn't play, like Buxton, he tweaks something. My knee hurts. Okay, cool, dude. Is it the training staff? Is it Falvey? Is it truly... Rocco, who says, then you ain't playing for four days or five days. No no structural damage. Right. But I would like to know who is making that decision because I fundamentally disagree. Like it, And if that's if Rocco is putting his foot down, that's a problem. But let's just talk about the lack of development, too. Like at some point in time. So, so we get a lot of pushback because all three of us, rightfully so, Miguel Sano drives us nuts because the guy has gone backwards. He came up in 15. He had an eye. The eye's gone. Don't know why. Um, but the comment that we get a lot, and it's it's fair, is why don't you dump on Kepler more, which is incredibly fair. Max Kepler, since 19, has has become a massive disappointment. So when you look at that, that's got to come back at least largely to Rocco. Like at some, what's he not do? What are they not doing? They're changing Hitting coaches, so it's not one guy. Um, they're playing them both a ton. So I guess my question is, one, what's the problem? Two, is it fixable? And three, if you believe that Sano and Kepler deserve to stay here and should not be moved, then what else can you change that can maximize them to get them back to a point of just at a base level being playable? Yeah, I think uh, that's that's fair on the Kepler front. 
I think I think part of the reason why I go at Sano is because I think people like it's twofold. Sano was always regarded as a franchise cornerstone prospect more than Kepler ever was. And so I think the expectation of Sano was higher than Kepler. And so that, like, that's one of the reasons. But number two, there's still a lot of people in the even in like the Twin Cities media that cover the team that like defend Sano at every corner because he gets hot for three weeks in June every year and hits some home runs. Like so, so I t- I tend to fight that narrative. But you're right. I mean, Max Kepler since the Bomba season of 2019 has been a joke. He's been terrible, and he's I mean, God, the guy's going to be 30 years old. I mean, it's kind of it's kind of just over. Like I don't you know, he's, it's not like he's 25 or 26. Max Kepler is 29 years old and you've signed him to this long-term contract. So yeah. So again, is it okay? Is it Rocco's fault that Max Kepler is not enough of a professional to carry over the 2019 season? No, but like could a manager or could a coaching staff do more to figure out how to unlock Max Kepler? That's what, yeah, I think probably maybe, you know, it's not cut and dry black and white, but yeah, that's a, it's a fair question to ask. Yeah. Hmm. I know you you've been dying to uh, tie the spiral comment back in with uh, your favorite candle company here too. So if listen, if your team is on a downward spiral yep. or if you're just looking for a great gift for mom or for the wife, yep. Judd has the perfect gift for you. Because of course, Mom's Day comes up on May 8th and you're saying to yourself, I don't want to get something cliché, but I want to get something nice. And you know what, guys? You're also saying I'm lazy. I don't want to move. I don't want to have to like get in my car and drive around town and try and find Okay, I got the answer for you. Our friends at Spiral Light Candles have candles beginning at 14 bucks. I'm going to tell you right now, these things they make an entire house smell fantastic. Uh, orders of $50 or more ship for free. Made locally, shipped quickly. Spirallightcandles.com. You can't go wrong. I to- told you guys, uh, we got like four at the house last week. Dawn immediately ordered four more. She's like, they smell so good. They're so cool. We're going to get uh, four more. So your wife, your mom would absolutely love them. Spiral Light candles.com check them out and tell them that sports dad said this is the gift for mother's day boom by the by the way the twins you know if you think 90 wins is kind of a benchmark where you, you, know, you can probably get into the playoffs the expanded playoffs with fewer than 90 wins but like the 90 wins would say that you're a, a true contender you know if, uh, four and eight is not the end of the world but it means that you now need to go 86 and 64 the rest of the way if you want to win 90 games so the longer you wait to get your season going the more the math becomes hard sure we're not in crisis panic mode yet but i think the questions that you and we are posing are very fair can i please though stop hearing well it's early in the season and it's cold outside Everyone's playing it's in the, it's, it's cold for everybody. It's cold for everybody. Exactly right. And and you are, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, after being shut out last night, you are entering today's game with a collective team batting average below 200. Mm-hmm. Okay? So don't give me this. I mean, they aren't playing in Alaska in the middle of a blizzard. Like, let's stop with the excuses, ladies and gentlemen. I'm tired of them. The more that we give teams excuses in in this town, the more that we are not demanding that they actually do their job. This is embarrassing. This offense right now, there is no excuse why an offense that added Carlos Correa should be this bad. I don't care if it's 30 degrees all season long. Hit the damn baseball. 
We're so soft, man. Like I'm not gonna I'm not gonna say the publication, but there was definitely a story today about like the twins emergency catcher situation, if it ever came down to that. Like that's not what we should be talking about right now, okay? Like that's <laughs> Just, you know, also like whatever happened to some of these trade discussions, dude, Dave St. Peter came out on, I don't know if it was like WCCO or he came out first week of the season and said more moves are on the horizon. The team freaking president came out and said more moves are on the horizon. Well, might be time to pick up the phone again. <laughs> you know, you can't, again, you can't, it, it, you can't just say, well, it's early. It's like, no, you guys are four and eight. Dude, they're four and Turns eight. into four and nine. Could it- turn into like. You got to win. The the Oakland A's stripped everything down to the studs and looked like a triple-A team. And I, I told both of you, I said, this stupid team will still find a way to win 80 games. They're 7-6. and six. The damn Oakland A's are 7-6. and six. 1,500 fans, I believe, yes. in the Coliseum yesterday. Oh, God. 1,500 fans. It's hilarious. Sad, oh, but it's gosh. hilarious. Amazing. All right, do we have some old tweets yes. exposed here? Yes, All right, do. every single week, Declan dives into the Internet Archives and heart. finds old tweets to embarrass us. That's okay. I can't find it's okay. it. Here we go. We'll just go with old tweets exposed. It is a Twins edition of old tweets exposed. Nice. I will say that at least. So um, went down to a little Miguel Sano Twitter archive. So just wanted to, uh, to see what we had to say about Miguel Sano. We'll start with Bill Mackey. Okay. All right, early in Sano's career, July 30th, 2015, hell of a pick on the short hop by Sano at third base there. He seems yeah. to be really good at baseball. He was. The damnedest thing I've ever seen. Oh, I, I did. I, there you go. I there. did use the word seems, too. You know, just, oh, just the, the I, I couched it. Do you he remember his at-bats? to be. His at-bats yeah. for his age at the time? I was like, what the hell? He's got an approach at the plate. He's taking good at bats. I do remember that. Yes, he was very good. The I just, I'm so, I'm just so. All right. I also need to know. Twelve games. Twelve games. It's it's been no. It's been a career since then for him. Well, for him, yes. For him, it's pretty good. All right, for Judd, I need to hear if there's some sarcasm in this tweet or not. Usually, I'm pretty good at seeing the shift sarcasm, but I don't think there's shift sarcasm in this tweet from Judd last season. Nice Herbeckian catch by Sano in foul territory. I'm telling you. He's oh, a better yeah. gloveman than hitter at this point. He's a butcher also still uh, at first base. In May of last year at first base, I thought he played well, and he made a catch going back, I think, at target field, which was a nice Herbeck-like catch. But, yes, he's gone backwards there, too. You are Who was, uh, No sarcasm. We had a, we, we had a double-A play-by-play guy on one time. Was that about Miguel Sano? Yeah. Who was the guy that said that he's a better third baseman the, than Brooks Robinson? The, was that that was about Sano, right? I believe it was the voice of the New Britain Rockcats, and he came on. And he's like, he's a better third. He's as good as Brooks, Brooks Robinson. And I remember, he was kind of an old-school baseball guy yeah. who had seen Brooks Robinson. Yeah. I looked at Phil, and Phil looked at me, and we exchanged a knowing glance of BS meter going off the charts. <laughs> I wish Royce would have been there to hear that comment. Live. I, I think we pushed good. back a little bit too. I was like, "Wow, Brooks Robinson, man! I, I don't know about that." And he's like, defensive. "No, Sonny, I've yep. seen them all." It's like, I, brother, yep, he's Brandon Edels. Okay, and what? Like, what? Like, when, okay, I'm going to go off again here. This is the same rant I went off on yesterday on Purple Daily. But like, if you're just blowing smoke up people's asses and lying, or if you're only seeing players in like this positive light when that's not true, how are you serving the audience? You're not. How are you like like you're like what like what are you doing? You're serving your agenda and your friends. You're serving your friend. If you're friends with coaches and players, like I've seen this, then you're serving them. Then you're trying to share their 
message and you're doing and what's dangerous is if it comes from internally with the actual team you as a fan know that what you're hearing is favorable on purpose but when it comes from people who are supposedly outside said team it's a little bit worse but mm-hmm. i mean i mean look at ba- bally's is nothing more than aside from G- jim pete for sure but bally's is largely from its play-by-play people an infomercial for th- those teams like you don't get like the play-by-play guys are never going to give you the truth. Yeah, that's true. They'll, mm, they'll that's spin true. a yarn for you, but they're not going to give you the truth. So, uh, all right. So, so the judge, judge, the leader in the clubhouse here, just you know, raving about yeah, last a, year. Glo- a, a, a glove that it. moved. I own it. <laughs> okay. Before Sano got called up by me, May third, two thousand fifteen, I just won with just guys won. like Adam Walker and Adam Miguel Sano mashing balls. Where do they fit in? With Oswaldo Arcia, Kenny Vargas, and Trevor Plouffe, I think. <laughs> Adam Brett Walker, last seen playing, if I'm not mistaken, for the Milwaukee Milkmen of yes. the American Association at at CHS when Rami, Phil, and I were there to do a show. I was at that game as well. Okay. Yes. So And there you go. mashing. Okay, yeah. so he, I just pulled him up here. So Adam Brett Walker... Absolutely mashed for the milkmen in 2021. So he uh, he batted 320 with a 1,000 OPS, 33 homers, 101 RBIs. He also stole 24 bases. Definitely one of the best players in uh, was it the 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 American Association? Association. It switched to the American Association. Great stuff. He's still playing. He's currently he's currently in Japan. He plays for really. Let's see here. He plays for uh, the Yomori Giants right All now right. in Japan. Oh, that's a nice club. He's played in 17 <laughs> no, games I'm serious. so that's far. A nice, that's, a, that's a well-established team. Good for him. I know. He's batting 250. The season just started. 40, 40 at-bats. He's batting uh, 250 so far with five runs driven in. So nice, nice little, probably a nice little bump in pay there, too, going to Japan. And the Milkmen. What a great yeah. name. <laughs> I hope they're still there because that's a great team name, Milwaukee Milkmen. Yeah. So, all right. Well, we got that off our off our chest here. So, the speculation is that uh, Jace Tingler could be ready at any moment to, to take right. over the reins. They're going to go out there, <laughs> Jace. We we need the right hander. <laughs> yeah. So Rocco goes out to make a pitching change, and behind him is Derek Falvey saying, "No, we're actually going to go." To I got gotcha. you. We're gonna, we're going to the managerial bullpen. All right. We're going to take a minute here and get our guy Darren Doogie Wolfson in for some inside information about your favorite Minnesota sports teams. Happy Reckless Speculation Thursday. He brought in his staff. They looked at the film and they said, "That's the guy." I guess then they turn around and say, "What?" Let's give him another guaranteed year. Give him 70 more An million. An insane amount of money. Guaranteed. Send the pen to the Hall of Fame <laughs> because he keeps setting records for that sort of thing. Man. You like that? <laughs> he does. Right? Captain Kirk, there he is, signing again. And you're like, okay, they're going down the same rabbit hole in Minnesota again. Yeah. Is that, by the way, that's from uh, from the Rich Eisen show. If you know, this is about the seventh time that Rich has just crapped on the Kirk Cousins contract, but that photo for the YouTube audience, hello by the way, Reckless Speculation Thursday, that photo should be like, you know, if, if Kirk ever makes the Ring of Honor, you've got John Randall with the eye black, you've got Alan Page with the bloody hands, Randy Moss, you know, and then you got Kirk Cousins not in uniform but at a boardroom table signing a contract with a pen. That should be the photo. For for him i love it well that or him and his conversion van yeah. <laughs> or yeah. that. no no i don't need to see that ever again go home 
Phil, go up and down the list. So, like, if Ontario Smith somehow ever made the Ring of Honor, the Originator has to go in. If Fred Smoot ever made the Ring of Honor, a certain – how do I frame this for our audience? Just a boat. Just say the boat. boat. An adult toy. Just say the boat. Adult boat. I think, you know, for, for Dwight Smith, you could just have the picture of the him stairwell. standing at, at the stairwell in Block E. Now, that's a, I can say that. Just the stairwell. Block E. <laughs> it's great. Uh, by the way, that's Darren Doogie Wilson. He's our friend from the Five Eyewitness News sports team. You can also find him on the Scoop podcast. And uh, you actually you actually just got off a call with Rick Spielman. So let's start here with uh, this Scoop session. What is the hottest Vikings-related draft take that Rick Spielman delivered to you? Ooh, I mean, we talked for about 35 minutes. So he's doing some draft analyst work next week for Fox Sports Radio, for CBS. He wasn't even quite sure if it was CBS College Sports or CBSSports.com. He also is active on TikTok. No joke. He's great on TikTok. TikTok. He's active on TikTok. In fact, he told me when he was getting done with me, he was getting ready to produce another TikTok video. I love it. He evolves, man. He evolves. It's great. He, yeah, and he's loving life right now. I mean, you know, I said to him, if we had spoken the afternoon of January 10th or, you know, January 11th compared to April 21st, his mindset has completely changed. I mean, he moved down to Sanibel Island, so he's in Florida, no longer has a residence here. Most of his kids are still here in the Twin Cities, but him and his wife, and he has a special needs child, they're down in Sanibel. He's got some other things going on. He kind of dropped some hints, some non-football stuff, but like he is completely loving life right now. But in terms of the Vikings draft, I can tell you, he thinks the world of Kyle Hamilton. You know, he didn't outwardly say, okay, if Hamilton falls to 12, Quasey better pull that trigger uber fast. But he laid out seeing Kyle in person, that opening game, Notre Dame, Florida State, and Tallahassee. Rick was in Tallahassee for that game. I just, I got the sense, the way he was gushing about Kyle Hamilton, the way that you can use Kyle Hamilton in so many different ways. And he goes, hey, the only reason he might fall to 12 is the 40 time. Didn't have a great 40 time at the Combine. And then followed it up, he said, in South Bend at the Pro Day. Didn't necessarily go as well. Now, 4-5-5 is nothing to scoff at. But he just thought the Kyle Hamilton 40 time that there might be a chance. Now, I think he'll be surprised if Hamilton falls to 12, but the sense I got was if Kyle Hamilton, even though it's not necessarily a huge position of need, although I do think they will take a safety at some point next weekend, but that I got the sense talking to Rick that if he were running the Vikings draft this year, he would sprint to the podium to draft Hamilton. I'm glad he's not. Um (laughs) <laughs> so well i mean i just telling you uh yeah, i want to see judd that. go down go down to sanibel island Sanibel's go nice. belly up go belly up at the mucky duck and make up with rick spielman that's what that's what well, i want to see nothing, judd do we don't have to spring. make up i just don't I necessarily always agree with rick's draft philosophy what did rick think of and i i am scared to ask this question but i'm going to what did what does rick think of the top end of the quarterback class well i mean he mentioned that he saw malik willis in Syracuse, a Liberty-Syracuse game, he also then agreed with me that there absolutely is a possibility that as the Vikings sit there at 12, that both quarterbacks, Pickett and Willis, are sitting there on the board, which would then allow Quasey the potential to move backwards if Pittsburgh or New Orleans wants to move up for one of those guys. 
I did get the sense, though, Judd, he is a fan of Willis. Now, he wasn't going to tell me if he was still running things here, if he doesn't get fired on January 10th, if he would have taken Malik Willis. You know, he fell back on two. It's so hard at pick 12 because you just never know how the board shakes out. So we can talk about all these scenarios. He goes, I'm going to enjoy doing the media work real time, reacting as this player goes off the board at seven. This guy goes off the board at eight, nine, ten, where then he'll get a really good feel. But, you know, he admitted he still talks to a number of people here in Minnesota. You think about that front office, Rob Brzezinski, Ryan Munnins, Jamal Stevenson. Those are all Spielman's guys. And he's got guys in every front office in the league, but particularly here and in Denver. Like, so he's got, he's got great intimate Vikings knowledge. Yeah. So, I mean, you said that he's enjoying life. He's living down, you know, Sanibel Island is a, is a beautiful place to live and he's got enough money, certainly, I'm sure, to, to have a nice home down there. I mean, how, how chapped is he, by the way, that things surprisingly, I'm assuming for him ended? Did you get into any of that stuff or was it mostly just draft related talk? Yeah, well, I mean, he said it certainly hit him. And we know that. I mean, we reported a lot of this the week of January 10th. You know, he had a chance to address the team on his way out. It got very emotional. He's an emotional person. So those first handful of days, like, I think it really hit him. And I'm telling you, like, I don't think he went into that meeting at 7.30, 8 a.m. on the morning of Monday, January 10th, fully expecting to get fired. Maybe reassigned, but not fired. Like, if you had talked to Rick on January 8th, I'm positive he would have told you, you know, heck, if we could fast forward to April 21st, I don't think he would have told you, hey, I'll be living in Sanibel Island as a former member of the Vikings front office. Like, I just don't think he foresaw the situation playing out like that. But now, four months later, I just, I got the strong sense he is in a really good spot. And, you know, he had the interview in Jacksonville. You know, I think he'll have a chance. You know, it may not be his general manager, but I don't know if he wants to be a GM anymore. Just based on him enjoying life down there in Sanibel, like, he'll go out and scout. He can write up reports. He can help a team that way as a consultant, you know, maybe with a more official title. But, like, he doesn't need to be working until 1, 2 in the morning. I mean, that's one thing I really, honest to God, you know, a genuineness when he was expressing that to me, that, that the hours can really get to you that he's actually enjoying catching up with his wife, you know? So there is something to be said about that. He talked to Pittsburgh as well, correct? The Steelers, didn't he he get on their list for GM candidates to replace Kevin Colbert? I didn't specifically ask him about Pittsburgh. I mean, I guess I could have kept him for longer, but I knew I had to get to this conversation with you guys. We appreciate that. It's not like he was pushing me to the side. I mean, we talked for 35 minutes, but like I was more curious to hit him on a bunch of draft prospects. I wanted to hit him on the Vikings roster his opinion on Zadarius Smith, the changes the Vikings have made, mm-hmm. you know, schematically the change to the 3-4 look on defense and how that impacts the draft. So I, I was more curious. Now, if some fan, if, heck, you guys want to go at me for not going down the Zimmer rabbit hole and how him and Zim didn't talk the final couple months, guilty as charged. I, I didn't do that. I he's not. I, so yeah, much he's, draft chatter right now. I don't know how many fans care about that going yeah. back to November, December. I think more fans care about how are the Vikings going to get better next week. 
Well, and I don't even, I mean, listen, like, I, would, I, would I love to hear what his answers are? And maybe someday he'll elaborate. But I don't think, I don't think he's ever going to throw Mike Zimmer directly under the bus. I think, he, I think indirectly in some of his interviews and the media he's been doing, like, you can, you can draw some conclusions. But if you were to sit there and say, listen, what really happened? Well, you know, why, why did you and Mike Zimmer have such a falling out? He's just not going to, he's not going to throw him under the bus. That's, that's never, I, I don't think that's ever been who Rick Spielman is. No. No, I would not expect him to do that. Now, you know, can he make some comments off the cuff? Yes. Has he talked out of turn before? Yes. But specifically on that, Phil, no. I, I wouldn't expect him to throw Mike under the bus. Yeah. And, All right, now, what is – what is? oh, sorry, Dex, go ahead. I, that was Judd. That was me, Judd. Oh, my bad. Oh, sorry. Judd's all good. Nice to meet you. Uh, what, Dukes, what did, what did Spielman say about the current construction of the roster then? And, and – was there a nice way to ask, are you surprised that you got fired when they basically have kept your team together? Because this roster is still a lot of Rick Spielman's guys. Yeah, I mean, I more frame the question about the weirdness of not being in a war room right now, finalizing the draft board. You know, what the heck are you doing talking to me from Sanibel Island via Zoom? Sure. You should be at TCO Performance Center in a war room, yeah. finalizing the draft board. And certainly he admitted to it being weird, even though he's done the media stuff before going way back with ESPN back in whenever that was, 04, 05, before coming here to join the Vikings in in 06. Uh, but, yeah, it wasn't necessarily were you surprised. You know, I didn't necessarily frame it that way. But uh, we know. I mean, I can just tell you, you know, he didn't necessarily say it to me, Judd, but he 100% was surprised. Like, he just – he didn't foresee – Ziggy and Mark saying, Rick, you are fired. You are gone. We will eat the remaining money on your contract. Get the heck out. We'll give you some time to say your goodbyes, but we don't want you here anymore in any capacity. There's no way when he walked into that meeting on Monday morning, January 10th, did he see that happening. All right, now give us your hottest Vikings-related draft take. Well, I mean, Judd and I alluded to this on Tuesday, I do think there is a scenario, we've talked about this going back a few weeks, in fact, that Quasey will move down. But the intrigue from this week, and you know, kudos to The Athletic, one of their national guys reporting the tidbit about Tavon Walker, the Georgia edge rusher, being one of the visitors. I mean, I have a large amount of the names that visited here draft prospect-wise. I don't have all 30 names or 29 or 28. Some guys were supposed to come, like the defensive tackle hall from Houston was supposed to come, then it didn't match up schedule-wise, so he ended up doing a Zoom, a conversation like this. So the Vikings certainly have the book on Hall, but they weren't able to get him to Egan. But getting Tavon Walker here is certainly interesting. Now, he may go number one to Jacksonville, so it may not matter. But the fact that the Vikings brought in Tavon Walker just makes you wonder – is Quasey also potentially exploring moving up? That you look at multiple teams in the top 11 have multiple picks, right? We're looking at the Giants with multiple picks. Don't the Jets have multiple picks? You know, you've got a bunch of teams with multiple first-round picks, you know, all across, you know, the first round. I mean, that's what Rick mentioned. He thinks there's going to be more transactions in the first round this draft, just with all these teams having multiple picks compared to many years previous. But – you know, that's one thing I do wonder about. I don't have the definitive answer, Phil, but, you know, getting Tavon Walker in here for a visit 
is certainly intriguing. And, you know, the names I have of first-round talents that were here are all defensive linemen. You've got the Wyatt kid from Georgia. You've got Mafe from the Gophers. You know, otherwise, all the names I have are second round or below. So, you know, it's clear there's there's a vested interest in going defensive line at some point. If not at 12, maybe at 46 or if they move down from 12. But, like, I think they go defensive line pretty early next week. And I, I think that there's a case to be, be made here that the internal thinking defensively might be that improving that line is more important than taking a cornerback. Uh, I will say this, though, you guys. The, of all of the permeations and things that we have talked about potentially for a week from today in the first round, the one thing that I think would pretty much floor me is if the Vikings went up sub- substantially. Like if they got into the top five, that would be one that in no way, shape, or form w- would I have seen coming. Well, let's let's throw this out there. I think I saw this. Sec- I did not hear this, but I saw uh, uh, Paul Allen apparently said that there's a chance or steam that they're looking at jumping into the top five. So I mean that's that's kind of where that came from I think this week unless you saw it somewhere else too but you know anytime that the voice of the Vikings and an employee of the Vikings and someone who knows people in the building says that it's interesting. Well, I mean, do I think they've had dialogue with the Jets and Giants? One hundred percent. I think there's been correspondence with those teams. Mm. Uh, I'm not suggesting mm. anything is imminent, but yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean that's what these front offices do this time of the year now. You know, was there a direct inquiry about moving up to pick four or pick five? Or was it more, hey, you know, what are you guys hearing on this front, that front? You know, but do I think there's been dialogue with the Jets and the Giants? 100%. And you think- so just, just I got the draft value chart open here. I was okay. wondering what it, would, what it would cost. If you went from... If you went from twelve to four, you'd need uh, you'd need to find six hundred draft value points to give to the Jets. Uh, the forty sixth pick is worth four hundred forty, so you'd probably have to give up your second and third, or like a future first, to make that happen. Well, and remember, they don't have a fourth. I did bring that up to Rick that he gave up the fourth <laughs> to Chris Herndon. Good for you. Good. Yeah. Yeah, dude, that was a terrible trade. Yeah. Tight end who did nothing. Yeah, I don't even know if Herndon signed anywhere. I think he might still be a free agent at this point. Good luck to him. Uh, But, yeah, so, I mean, if you give up your two and your three, you also don't have a four. So you better be in love with somebody. I imagine that would be Walker if he fell right. I mean, I just – I don't know why else you would bring him in specifically, unless it's Sauce Gardner. I mean, that's one thing Rick, you know, also said, that there actually is pretty good edge rusher depth. There's good wide receiver depth. So we've brought up the possibility, could the Vikings go wide receiver in the first round? Rick said he would be very, very surprised if the Vikings went wide receiver early. Yeah, but what does Rick know about that? He he would be surprised if he went wide receiver. God, he would be surprised. Well, he did say that. He goes, like, he drafted him. Justin he Jefferson. Goes, Osborne has worked out. Jefferson, Thielen's still there. Yeah. The way the Thielen contract is structured, more than likely here for two more years. Possibility of one, but certainly two is, is a distinct possibility that you don't necessarily need a wide receiver early. Judd just refuses to let the man right. rest in football peace. Just like the man, the man got fired and publicly shamed, and now well, he's now he's cast off, literally on an island, living in Sanibel. Gilligan's and you Island, just, man. You just keep burying. He's him. Gilligan. He's Gilligan with his, <laughs> his buddy. Uh, I'll give you one skipper. more. He told the me the skipper. I yeah. never heard That's from Zimmer. him. 
I asked him about age because Mafe yep. will be 24 when the season starts. Derek Stingley Jr. will be 20 when the season starts, or is 20 right now. I mean, that's, yeah, that's crazy. That's a large gap, right? When looking at, and I get at different positions, but I asked him overall about age. He said they never had a problem with a kid unless the kid was older than 25. And it's pretty rare for a draft prospect. It's a 40 year old. Chris, Chris, Chris Weinke. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Comes in with, with a cane. <laughs> hey, what's going on? I'm eligible. So he didn't think that would be an issue. You know, and so. he may still have been talking, you know, in terms of at one point he did say we, by the way, when, when I asked him about the Oh, no, it's so you sad. Know, then he dude. kind of oh, steered no. it the other way, but it was a, it was a slip <laughs> that I get. Uh, but I'm telling you, he still maintains enough dialogue with people over there that, you know, that may have been his take based on how they did it, but maybe a belief also that's the way it'll still be done that, you know, the Vikings aren't going to necessarily overvalue a kid because he's 20 or devalue a kid because he's 24. Yeah. You know, I feel like Rick was always about risk management when it came to drafting, and that's what Federated is about. They're a huge supporter of businesses in and around the Twin Cities with risk management tools and resources. They've been around for over 100 years, based in Owatonna. They are one of us. Uh, they've been big supporters of University of Minnesota sports and the, the Timberwolves, too. So uh, check them out if you're a business owner and find out how they can take your business to the next level with their tools and expertise. Federatedinsurance.com, where it's our business to protect yours. Duke, schedule steam. You, you brought this up on Tuesday, and there's now a report out of New Orleans from Jeff Duncan about what you talked about, which is... According to this tweet from Duncan, the latest word I've heard on the Saints international game in London is week four versus the Vikings. It's fluid. It's not done yet, but it's exactly what you said on bonus scoops on Tuesday, which is it's looking more and more like that game, which I believe you said is a Saints home game is going it to is be the Saints Vikings. Home game. And I did frame it that very much reckless speculation. Yeah, but now it's out the there. Narrative of today, not Tuesday, but yeah. you happen to say, do you have anything else on the Vikings? And, you know. Heck, I had it, you know, to some extent, so I threw it out there. There is some stuff I actually have that I actually don't throw out, as weird as that may sound, but what? I felt okay Same. throwing it out. But I did preface it by saying, yes, reckless speculation. This Duncan tweet certainly is a, a little bit more credible than what I threw out, but, you know, it's not like I made it up. I mean, somebody had told me, check on the possibility of Vikings in London Against the Saints, so there we go. Week four, Vikings Saints in all likelihood. Duncan is very plugged in there in New Orleans with the Saints. So Vikings Saints, week four in London, bring it on. That'll help with the mock schedules we're about to produce uh, the week after the draft. And you may think we're kidding, but no, we no, we, we will do we, a we mock will. schedule. That'll happen. Who's Daily. kidding about that? I love doing that. Uh, uh, Dukes, Judd has to go shake some hands and uh, kiss some babies in a sales meeting wow. in about two minutes. So give us two minutes of rapid fire scoops here. Well, I was at Wolves shoot around this morning. They're fine injury wise. Like there's nothing to worry about with Tori and Prince's knee or anything like that. I got the sense that Chris Finch is pretty pissed off the way game two went. Good. That, I was. Know, the, way they, the way they defended the pick and roll, yeah. you know, some effort issues. Mm-hmm. I think we're going to see, I mean, he got on them pretty good in the film session yesterday. I'll be surprised if we don't see more of the Wolves team we saw in game one. Speaking of tonight's game three tip off, by the way, 632. And I did check because I had some people asking me because game two here in the Twin Cities was blacked out on NBA TV. So I was asked, 
Tonight's game three, TNT. Will it be blacked out? A Wolves official, for what it's worth, I think they should know, told me no. If you're here in the Twin Cities, if you get TNT but don't get Bally Sports North, you should have access to tonight's Wolves Grizzlies game. Mm-hmm. So, like, this is a stupid question, but like, what? So, why black out NBA TV but not black out TNT or ESPN? Yeah, just, I don't just know. Just let let people watch the game. Correct. On the platform that they and want. Remember, like, that was the case on Saturday for game one. I mean, it was clear as day on right. on ESPN. You also had yeah. it on so Valley out. Sports North if you wanted it, but ESPN was fine. So good question, but this Wolves official said there shouldn't be anything to worry about. If you get TNT but don't get Valley Sports North, yeah. you should have the game tonight. Okay. There he is. Darren Doogie Wolfson, inside information about your favorite Minnesota sports teams on and this Buxton reckless is back. I brought that up with Judd on Tuesday. I said – Decent chance he's back this Royal Series, if not the Royal Series, game one of the White Sox Series. Well, here we are with first pitch in about 15 minutes. Byron Buxton back in the lineup. All right. Celebrate. It's about probably the uh, first of seven times where we're going to be sweating this. I would Do a TikTok dance. And there is not, turn about John, I'm just you. telling you, I enjoy the Jace Tingler <laughs> fodder. There is not Rocco Baldelli being fired steam right this second. Not yet, right? Right, but you know what? Second, no. It started on today's show, and it will yeah. spread. It will spread like wildfire. Fire spreads quickly, <laughs> Doogie. We got, you know what we got right now? We got a twins gasoline tank, and I got matches. Doogie, we set the agenda here. Yeah. Okay, Done. we, we set the game. agenda. Derek, Jim, Dave, <laughs> it's all very cute what you do. But... I am the f- game, Jr. There you go. <laughs> there you go, boys. All right, Doogie. See you, Doogie. All right, see you, boys. Bye, bye, Doogie. All right, that's uh, that's reckless speculation Thursday, Doogie. Bring in the scoops. All right. Uh, we'll see you guys after whatever happens in this Timberwolves game three. I don't know what's going to happen, but uh, we'll be with you. The South Dakota Stories, Volume 2. I could see beyond the Black Hills and the way they called for exploration. I could feel the air, the way it paints against skin and fills hungry lungs. I could hear the way the water ran for miles and the way the bison grazed, the way our boots meet the earth as we step past expected. I could imagine my time in South Dakota, and I wish to go back, because there's so much South Dakota, so little time. This holiday, whether you're making a Baker's Simple Truth Turkey for 40 or a Murray's Baked Brie for two, Baker's has fast, fresh delivery and free pickup, so you can make holiday meals that bring you all together to create memories that last. Baker's, fresh for everyone. Free pickup on orders of $35 or more. Restrictions may apply. Get more ways to save at the Buy 5 or More Save $1 each sale. Just buy five or more participating items and save a dollar each with card. Bakers, fresh for everyone.